I believe everyone has a story to tell. And I believe everyone deserves a little pampering. Welcome to Manny's with Grannies. I'm your host, Tiffany Marino. Join me while I sit down with a woman over 70 and get to know her while giving her a manicure. Welcome to this episode of Manny's with Grannies. Today I'm here with Ruby Wiles. Ruby was actually the first person that I met when I moved to this area. I was at an estate sale and it was my first estate sale and Ruby spotted that right away. She could tell that I was a newbie and she gave me the lay of the land. We got to talking and we made a connection. She invited me to speak at the Rotary Club meeting and from there we made so many friends and I have so much gratitude to Ruby for her welcoming demeanor and just for being so nice and open with me right from the beginning. It really solidified that I found the right place to live. We're doing our interview today at the Warren Public Library. It's the 150 year anniversary of the library this year. And I thought it was a really appropriate place to have this interview and you'll find out why. And now I'd like to introduce Ruby Wiles. She has her own nonprofit called Free Books for Kids Town. And her mission is to make sure that every child has their own book. Ruby, thank you for being here today. It's a pleasure, Tiffany. It was so much fun to meet you down the street and welcome you to our community. I'll take your hands out of here. So what should we start talking about? I know you have a very storied background. (laughs) I do have a storied background, but in my 50s, I found my great passion in life, which is helping kids become the fullness they were created to be. And part of that is reading, because reading is such an important skill in life. I have a son who didn't start reading till he was seven in third grade, but then he became a voracious reader, and I wondered why he was different from other kids, why he was reading just nonstop. And I realized it was because I would always spend money on books. I wouldn't buy toys made in China, but I rarely said no to a book, and our house is full of books. And so I wanted to find out what would happen in this rural county, where I returned to after 30 years, if kids had access to free books. So free books was started uh, with a mission of children's literacy, but also education, because I saw that my son didn't get the kind of education I really wanted him to have. So we've been focusing for over 12 years on literacy and getting kids the books they want. Reading is such a necessary life skill for a satisfying life. It takes sort of two things to become a good reader. One is a teacher who can teach you well, and we have many of those. I'm really impressed with the dedication of our teachers in our county. But teachers cannot motivate kids to read, but that's where I come in with free books. I have been talking to kids for over 12 years about what they want to read. And that's what makes our program so different. We don't start with the teachers. We don't start with the professionals. We start with the children. What do you want to read? And it's amazing to me. It never ceases to amaze me what children want to read about. From the five-year-old who wants a book about mummies to the kids who want to know about thunderstorms and extreme weather to the horse lovers, the cooks, all the different things that kids are interested in. And as that program's gone on, I've seen that in our schools, we don't do enough hands-on stuff with kids. And in times we're hypocritical, we tell children how important it is to eat fresh fruits and vegetables, and then we serve them something completely different in the cafeteria. So I'm hoping and praying that someone who's listening to this podcast will feel passionate about helping me achieve my goal of starting some kind of educational enterprise here that gives kids a chance to do hands-on stuff and have a world-class education in a small rural town. 
I know part of Free Books for Kids Town has a Halloween portion to it. Yes, it does. It's called Halloween Read and Treat. When my son was little, I was constantly buying books, and I don't necessarily have the best memory, so I would buy him duplicates of books of books he wasn't interested in. So one year I decided, heck, I'm just going to put these books out to give them to kids when they come here along with the treats. They were so excited about the books that I thought I'd continue. And so the next year... My son was going to school in a different town, and I left the books out along with the candy. People do that in our small town. And then I'd say, take a treat, take a book. And so when I came back, much to my surprise, guess what was left? The books or the candy? I guess the candy was left. The candy was left, and I was like, oh, my goodness. And ever since, I've been collecting books. I hope to give away over 500 books this year on Halloween. And for me, this is something that could happen across the country, that we could finally have a National Literacy Day. There have been several attempts over the years to have a National Literacy Day where books are given away free to kids. One happened in the summer one year. I got a book once where it had been given away on that, but I can't even find any information on the internet anymore about that book giveaway. And what I've learned over all these years since I am really most passionate about Poor rural kids. I'm a, I was a rural kid. Poor kids. I was a pastor in the Bronx. And so my experience is that kids in the city are seen and rural kids are hidden and lost and no one thinks about them. And I'm on a mission to help those kids have a bright future. So what I learned is that if you set up a literacy program that has barriers, like the parents have to bring the child or the parent has to sign up, there's not a great chance of success of reaching the neediest kids, which is my real big passion in life. But if you tag it on to something that already exists, then kids can take advantage of it. So Halloween Read and Treat takes advantage of kids' interests in going out trick-or-treating and getting candy. And there's nothing wrong with that. We just tag along. And our motto is, a treat for the mind as well as the sweet tooth. And so we want to feed children's minds. All the work I do in literacy is barrier-free. I'm out in the schools. I'm tired of living in a country that punishes children for their parents' lack of interest or lack of income. America is not the country I grew up in. When I grew up, there was very little poverty because parents were paid a decent living wage, and that's not happening today. So I'm on a mission to give our kids the best chance for a great life. The work we do here in Warren County, which I hope to take across the country, involves a free book program at the hospital, but it's not one book. Lots of programs exist. Libraries give every baby the same book. We have a book truck with two or 300 books, both for the infant who was just born, the newborn, plus their siblings. So no one's left out. We also have a bunch of generous local donors, local quilters and sewers who make book bags. So all the families leave with a book bag for their children and a book for the newborn as well as the siblings. And that has been happening since 2015. We started thanks to all the Lutheran churches in Warren County who provided funding for us to start that. And it's continued to this day. But then we're also out in the schools because the neediest kids are in our public schools. And so we'll go out and for a class of 20 or 30 kids, we'll bring 100 books. We want every child to have the books they really want, not the leftovers, not the one or two books that are left. So we're excited and we're raising money right now to give every K through eighth grader in Warren County, which amounts to close to 3,000 students in public schools and all our other schools and our homeschoolers, a book of their choice. And so this morning I was at a, online at a 
book sale trying to get the books we need because I know that I don't have enough horse books or I don't have enough cookbooks. I don't have enough books on um, history and animal books. They're just really popular books on dogs and cats. I can never have enough of those. I love this mission so much. And it's so easy to see that it's meaningful and making a big difference. I'm going to link to your website in my show notes for any of the listeners who want to get involved. You can make donations. You can donate physical books. You can make monetary donations. And there's also ways for you to participate in Halloween Read and Treat. If you're in the area, there's also volunteer opportunities as well. So please go ahead and check out Ruby's website, freebookskidstown.com. But there's also opportunities. We would love to take our program, Books for Babies Plus, to other hospitals. We can provide the books. If you provide the funding, we'll provide the training and the books. We select great, many American printed books. We can help you get that started at our hospital, as I think will be across the country. So our literacy program at the hospital, Books for Babies Plus, is a partnership between us, Free Books for Kids Town, our funders, and the maternity ward nurses and staff and administration at the hospital. I have found that maternity ward nurses are the most dedicated to children and are thrilled to be able to offer the children books. So if you have a local hospital that you'd like to bring that program to, we'd be so excited to expand that. I've become a very good book buyer. My mother was a very frugal person and I know how to do things on a shoestring. So we can get books to you that are brand new and beautiful that will bring delight to your local families. Also, our work in the schools could easily be replicated across the country and we'd love to work with you to start those programs. Our program is called Read to Keep because the number one question we get when we go out to public schools is, do you mean I get to keep this book? Do you mean it's mine? I cannot tell you how many times children ask that question. In the 12 years I've been doing this program, not once has a child asked me for a video game. The number one question always is, do you mean I get to keep this? That the book is free. When they walk into a room with a thousand books that are free, more books than are at the book fair that they can't afford to buy. In rural communities, only one out of three children has money to buy books at the book fair. So that means two thirds of our kids are just left out. And because they're left out, they give up on life too easily. They see that all the great opportunities are going to pass them by. And I refuse to accept that kind of world. I do not want that kind of world for our children. And I know there are many others who are listening to this who don't want that either. And there are ways that we can work together to make our country the way it used to be, where people cared for one another, who thought about other people. And so we'd love to bring that program. The second question we always get is, can I have another book? And that has to do with funders. If you're a funder, help me get books to our kids at Christmas because they will be so happy. I will send you some of the artwork that our children send to us that is just so fantastically beautiful. I don't think we've posted it yet on the website, but we need to post it on the website. I will post that on Facebook so all of our listeners can see some of the artwork from the students and kids that have gotten free books from you. So as you can hear, there's lots of different ways you can get involved. And I can tell you firsthand that volunteering and donating your time and and money really does feel good and you get more out of it than you give. So anyone that wants to get involved with Ruby's mission, please visit freebookskidstown.com and I'll link that in the show notes. 
And if you live in a small town, you'll be known and the children will recognize you and talk to you all over town. That's the joy of living in a small town. When I first started this program, I went for five to eight weeks to an elementary school in a poorer part of our county and took books to them. At one point, they didn't want my books. I was like, you don't want my books? Well, I don't want them either. So what do you want books on? And that's when I learned the importance of listening to children. And so I would bring them books that they wanted. And out of a group of 50 second graders, guess how many wanted a book on superheroes? Tiffany, guess. Three. One. Only one. Children want books on wolves and snakes and thunderstorms and tornadoes. It was amazing. Eight years later, I meet a 10th grader that I got to know in second grade. And I was substitute teaching in her class. And I introduced myself as Miss Wiles. And she said, oh, no, no, you're not Miss Wiles. You're Miss Ruby, the book lady. And she said to me, guess how many books I've read so far this year. And this was in November. She had read 19 books. This girl is on fire with reading, and it all starts when you get them books they really want. So brothers and sisters who are listening, you can do this in your small town. You can do this in big towns. You can change children's lives by helping them become better readers. I think it's noteworthy that you didn't start this mission until the second half of your life. That's true. First part of my life, I was a Lutheran pastor for 20 years, and I served in North Dakota, a state that I love and people that I love. And then I went to the Bronx, New York City. I went from a very small town of less than a 1,000 people to America's largest city and loved people in both places. And then I felt called to return to rural America, served here for a while as a pastor, and then that door closed and another door opened to make a bigger difference in children's lives. All the years I was a pastor, I realized the children were always most important to me. So... It's wonderful. I'm sort of like Joe Namath. Joe Namath talks about winning the games in the fourth quarter. Well, I'm planning on winning in the third and fourth quarter. So you can join me. It's never too late to join the great success story in life. It's kind of funny for me to be here on Manny's with Grannies because I'm not a granny. I'm one of those people who had their only child late in life. And so my son is only in his early 20s. We are really blessed that all of us enjoy the beauty of our area. The other thing I realized in my 50s was I'm happiest when I'm out in the Pennsylvania forest with the sun shining through and hiking by a stream. My dogs and I are always out in the woods enjoying the beauty. It feeds our souls and keeps us grounded. People in rural communities are the stewards of the land, and we're the people who grow the food that feeds America. So we have really important work here to do. And if you live in the city, you may not understand. And oftentimes in America, the cities get attention. But rural America was really the heart of the suffrage movement in our small town, uh, Elizabeth Cady. Stanton and Susan B. Anthony both visited and spoke and Frederick Douglass was here. And in our county, Frederick Douglass had tea with a white woman, which was great scandal to many people. So we are reclaiming our place as the powerful place of American civilization. And we are working to make a difference for our children. And you can join us wherever you live in America. And I'm especially compassionate and passionate about rural communities. So if you live in a rural community, please reach out to me so we can start working and helping the children in your community. They are so lucky to live in a rural place, a small town place. When we first met, I felt a connection because I mentioned that I moved from Philadelphia and you said that you went to school at University of Penn. Tell me about that time in your life. Oh, I was a very blessed young person. We had a wonderful man here who recruited students for the University of Pennsylvania for I think Mary McComas recruited students for 30 or 40 or 50 years. And so he was always 
out to help kids get to Penn. And one of the years I was in high school, the Penn Glee Club came and they were so good. And so I decided to apply there. And that was a time when the University of Pennsylvania had a special program for rural Pennsylvanians from small towns. And so actually three of us went the year I went and I got almost a full scholarship and it was a fantastic experience. I enjoyed the city a great deal and the opportunities to learn and grow and meet people. And I just went back from my 45th reunion. I had a great time. I'd been to maybe one or two other reunions, but it was fantastic to get back to the University of Pennsylvania and to connect, meet um, Laura Perna, who's a professor in the Graduate School of Education at Penn, who's very passionate about kids in poverty and helping them have access. If talent is universal, opportunity should be too. I think that's a driving force of my life. I really want every child in America to have the opportunity to go with their talent. It's a sin to see talent wasted and not achieve its potential. And when the daily paper has the deaths of young people who died to drug overdoses, your heart breaks and you know that we need to do better. There's just a lot of hopelessness when you don't have access to books and your parents are not treated right at work and don't have a job that pays a living wage then you don't realize what kind of opportunities there are. And so books, besides bringing ability to help you learn to read when you read books, it also brings hope. Uh, Books provide resources for mental health. We're very concerned about young people's mental health. Well, books can help young people with their mental health. It helps them be connected to others who struggle in the same way. It helps them develop empathy and compassion. It's also a great vacation. When you read a book, you get lost in another world. I read like a child ferociously, and I was often in other worlds. And it's great to take a break for kids whose lives are really hard. Books provide a vacation. They also bring delight and laughter. All the books at my personal library that have made me laugh and bring me joy have been such a great thing. Ruby, what's your age? I am 67. 67 years young. Yes, I feel that way. So you graduated from Penn in 1978 and you grew up in Warren. Yep. Mm-hmm. Had you left Warren at that point before? Uh, no, no. I'd gone to special YWCA events and our church had gone backpacking in the White Mountains. So after I finished from Penn, I spent the fall of my senior year as a aide to a congresswoman, um, Pat Schroeder, of Denver. I worked for the Subcommittee on Employee Ethics and Utilization. I worked for her and then I went back to Penn and finished, took five classes so I could finish with all my classmates. And then all my friends had job offers and I didn't really have any job offers. So my father bought me a car for $100 and I decided to drive across country to work at a Lutheran camp in Southern California. Sisters and brothers don't ever take a $100 car anywhere. (laughs) Did you get a degree in theology? At Penn, I got a bachelor's in psychology cum laude, proud to say. And then I went to work at a Lutheran camp in Southern California where I worked for two years. And then I had a chance to go to Seattle to work at University Lutheran as a lay associate. And there I didn't know what to do with my life, but I thought I'd always be a Christian. So I went to seminary in Berkeley. I did two years in Berkeley. I did two years in Washington, D.C., one year as a chaplain in training at Holy Cross Hospital in Silver Spring, Maryland, and one year as an intern for Community of Christ. Then I went back to seminary and finished and took a while to get approved for ordination. And then I took my first call to Hankinson and Lidgewood, North Dakota. I love North Dakota. I realized it got me closer to my small town roots. 
The people in North Dakota do not waste money. They're very frugal. They are kind of do-it-themselves people. They know how to do things. They want to know how to do things themselves. I love the people in Lidgerwood and Hankinson and the wonderful things they did. I was really a fish out of water, though, so I made many mistakes and stayed there just a couple years. And then I had a chance to go to the Bronx to study dance and be a pastor. I really love dancing, and I took ballet classes for years in New York City. And my son used to be dragged along in his baby carrier when he was a munchkin. I've always loved dance. And when I was in Berkeley, I had a chance to do some things. And I had a very small dance company. We used to dance for worship. And then I went to New York and studied ballet. I also had the chance two summers in my life to dance with Catherine Dunham. That was just incredibly hard. We were in St. Louis. It was hotter than Hades and muggy, and we would dance till the sweat was dripping off us. Catherine Dunham was still alive when we took class, master classes with her in the afternoon and in the morning. We were taught by people who were in her company. She had a company that got no government funding of African-Americans who, they weren't really welcome in the United States, but they were really popular in Europe. Her husband was her costume designer. She had the most beautiful dresses to dance in. I loved her dresses. And so the highlight, the very highlight of my dance career was being in a master class with Catherine Dunham, and she picked me out to show a move. There was a black woman there who thought that Catherine had picked her to show this move. And she was skinnier than me. She didn't have the hips that I had. And um, (laughs) this was a hip move that Catherine wanted to show. And I thought, I think she really wants me to do it. But I thought, oh, we're not going to get into this. So I just stepped back. And she said, no, no, to her. And she said, to me, to do this. And so I had a chance to show the whole class. Going for a circle, I also, during my years in Berkeley, joined the Sacred Dance Guild, and I've been a member of that for, I don't know, 30 years. And this past summer, we got together in Connecticut to celebrate the 65th anniversary of Sacred Dance Guild. And one of the things we did was go to Jacob's Pillow, which is the dance place in western Massachusetts where they have dance performances all summer long. And when we were there, we had a whole class presentation on Catherine Dunham. So I was just like ecstatic to think about doing those kind of dances again because it takes so much physical ability. And when I was eight months pregnant with my son, I went to a sacred dance guild festival gathering in Cleveland and had a chance to do all this kind of African dancing that was Catherine Dunham-like. And I was eight months pregnant and I was working so hard to do it right and do it in time. It was just so much fun to be together and to remember that. And now I took a class called Healthy Living, Healthy Eating that was brought to us by the Sight Center of Erie. And I gained a few pounds during COVID and I didn't like it. So I wanted to get that off. And one morning I woke up and I had overeaten peanut butter and I felt really crummy. (laughs) And so I thought the only way I'm going to feel better is if I go to the Y. So I thought I'll get up and go to the Y. I'll drive to the Y. One of the joys of living in a small town is you can do so much stuff by bicycle. And when I left my church community in the Bronx, they bought me a bicycle, which is my go-to transportation. It's a commute bike. It's a Trek bike. And I had fenders put on it. And I went outside that morning and I thought to myself, I'm not driving, I'm riding. And I got hooked on being up before six o'clock. And so Every Monday through Friday and sometimes on Saturday, I'm at the local YMCA, which is a fantastic place in Warren, and I work out. So I was there this morning at 5.37, running the track and rowing the machine and doing the elliptic and doing the other machines. So that's been a great plus, too, to be able to bike ride, rain or shine, even in the very cold weather, I ride my bike. 
Do you still dance? Not as much as I'd like. That's one of the hard parts of small town life is they only have dance classes pretty much for kids at night. I would love to be taking classes. I'm working out because I'm getting back in dance shape because I'm going to do Catherine Dunham's dancing again someday because when we were together, the Sacred Dance Guild members, there was another person who was really interested in doing that. And I thought she was just a single person. She's a mother of four and she's in great shape and she's a bit younger than me, but I can get in great shape again. That's what I'm trying to do, get my heart and lungs in great shape so I can do and get my core strong so I can do all that dancing again because I would really love to dance again. Thinking back to that time in your life, is there anything that you would tell yourself? Oh, probably I would tell myself what I tell myself every day now. Put one foot forward. Trust yourself. Trust the spirit inside you. Every Advent, a friend of mine from North Dakota sends me little clippings to think about Advent, and I look at some for him. And Pittsburgh Theological Seminary did some a couple years ago, and one of the ones was, the one I keep is, put one foot forward. Trust yourself. Trust God. Have courage. It takes such enormous courage and willpower in a small town where no one wants to care about poor world kids, where there's an old boys club that just funds the status quo and funds things that help people in their socioeconomic class. It takes every fiber of your being to get up every day and believe that you can make a difference, that you can find the funding, that you can take the programs you've developed across the country. It's my dream that Halloween Read and Treat will happen across the country in libraries, at churches, trunk or treat, at individual homes, in schools, that we will finally have a National Literacy Day where all children can participate and there are no barriers to it. Read Across America happens in March, and people celebrate reading, but kids don't get books, or very rarely do kids get books, and that often just happens in schools. It's not like a whole community effort, but we can do it. David Rubenstein has worked a lot on the National Book Festival and supporting that, and I hope he comes to understand the power of establishing a National Literacy Day and works with Carla, who's the director of the Library of Congress, so we can establish this National Literacy Day and call it Halloween Read and Treat, which is a program of my social enterprise company, Allegheny Creations, but it can easily be done by Free Books for Kids Town under our nonprofit umbrella. It will be a great day in America when all children have access to free books. Do you feel like when you were growing up that there were barriers because of living in a rural community? I didn't feel barriers. I grew up in a family with six kids, so there wasn't always money to do everything you wanted. I would not ever have traded any of my siblings for more money. The day my sister was born, I won the lottery. No one could ask for a sister who's more supportive or more encouraging. But this town was different then because there was so little poverty and so things that were accessible to me were accessible to almost everyone. There were definitely families who had more financial funding and who sent their children to Europe. And I didn't know about that. I don't know if that would have made me upset or not when I was a kid, but I felt like the community was here for me. Our church was so supportive. Our pastor was so supportive. And Murray helped us get to the University of Pennsylvania. I probably wouldn't have taken advantage of that if I lived in a large place. So no, I don't think there's any disadvantages. And when we get more and more adults who care about our kids, at the school I want to start, 
I want kids to do all this stuff hands-on. I want them to go to Harrisburg and learn how our government works. I know Richard Dreyfus is really committed to civics education. I want our kids to go to Washington. I also want our kids to go to Spain. Learning a foreign language is really crucial to brain development. And we are lucky in our town. Heather Espeso has a program called United Cultures. And for many years, my husband and I have hosted Spanish exchange students in the summer. And it's brought great delight to our house, great laughter, great experiences. When the students come here, what is their feedback about the community? Oh, they love it. They absolutely love it. Sometime in the last couple of years, Alma, who was one of our students, only for two weeks, she only stayed with us for two weeks. She was an artist and she did these great drawings. She and her family were going from Spain to Hawaii because her mother's best friend lived in Hawaii from Spain. And they were coming to New York and they really wanted to come to Warren. Alma really wanted to come to Warren. And they rented a car, the Spanish family, and came to Warren. And the brother was like, I don't know why we drove this far. And when he got to our, that was his question. Why are we driving this far? The whole way they were coming to, to our place to Warren from New York City, which is like 350 miles. And when he got here, he was like, I know why we came here. This is just the greatest place. And so we had a wonderful breakfast. And then we went to Chapman Dam, a state park near us, had a great lunch and hiked. And then we went out to dinner, looking at the beautiful scenery and stuff. He was just ecstatic. He had opportunities here that he didn't. So once the kids get here, they have a great time. And we go to Niagara Falls and we do fun stuff. We go to visit family members. And so it turns out in Spain, kids often go to different countries for a couple of weeks and stay with other families and have a chance to experience French culture. And so I want our children to have that experience here. But right now that only happens for rich kids. And I refuse to live in that kind of country where only rich kids get these opportunities. It's not right. I probably have a personal bucket list if I think about it, but my bucket list really is for the children to take free books and Halloween read and treat and books for babies plus across the country to start this Warren Community International School as a pilot project for the rest of the country, other small towns and rural communities to use their resources. We have the largest Forest Service Research Center in the Northeast in our county because the forests here are more dense. We have the 18th oldest theater in the country. We have the rivers that start the Mississippi, the Allegheny goes into the Monongahela, which forms the Ohio, which meets up and helps form the Mississippi. We provide the food for our country. And so rural places are really, really important. I think it's a fantastic place to live. I enjoyed my years in New York City a lot, but would never go back. I don't waste any time standing in line at the post office office or in traffic jams or anything. I used to spend an hour and a half driving to ballet class to find a parking space. And I don't know how many hours I wasted in traffic jams. We don't do any of that here. And tootling around on your bicycle is just the greatest way to be happy and to be in shape and to see the world and to meet people. When you first moved from Warren to Philadelphia, was there a culture shock? Probably, but I just, went, I just went along with the flow. I just remember them the first weekend we were there. They took all these people from these small towns to a Chinese restaurant, and they just ordered and fed us. Yeah, so we just got to do things, and I was really lucky. I took a class. I didn't take as many classes as I should have at the Warden School, but I took one class about lobbying, and I was the one student who did research so that I knew what was going on when the guests came. We had lobbyists from Quaker Oats, and we had Andrew Young come, and one time we had an opportunity to go to Washington, D.C., and so I I took the train in the nicest clothes I had, which I'm embarrassed about what it was now, but I got to meet President Ford and learn about that kind of stuff. So it was great. I just took advantage of whatever was out there. 
We used to do programs where we'd take fellow students at the University of Pennsylvania. We called it Dialogue on Thought. We'd get a professor to go with us to some of Penn's properties out in the country and enjoy the countryside and cook great meals together. So I had a great time. If I had culture shock, I just went with the flow and just enjoyed it every minute of it. You lived a lot of different places Mm -hmm. and then moved back to your hometown. Yes. How did it feel different when you moved back? Oh, it's such a different place than when I was here as a kid. We lost a lot of population. We lost some of our brightest people. We lost stores. In St. Louis, the arch was built here. It's really great that the archway that I never went in. I Every time I went to St. Louis to dance with Catherine Dunham, I would get down to the arch and think about going up and I'd be so tired from dancing. I'd just probably fall asleep. I fell asleep every time I went down to the arch. I, I think I finally stopped going down because I was so tired from dancing because we would dance all day. But there's, and there's more poverty because we don't have living wages anymore. Our country has become so unequal that it is just disgraceful. Do you think that anything about you or your experiences changed you so that you saw the town differently? Yes. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. I left here thinking that when I got to a place of educated people, that all the things that held people back and all the kind of backward thinking would disappear. Well, that was a joke. Bright people have their prejudices and views about things. And then I thought, well, I'll go work in Congress and we'll change the laws. And that'll be great because when the laws are great, everything will get in line. Well, that was a mistake too, because I must say Jesus knew, knew better. You really need to change people's hearts. You know, you can change the tax laws. And if we change the tax laws, things will be much fairer in America. There's a wonderful group called Patriotic Millionaires who are just trying to get the tax code fair again. It's been lopsided to favor the rich, which is just a disgrace. It's hurting our democracy. It's hurting individuals. It's hurting children. I'm sick and tired of CEOs taking food off children's plates because they won't pay their workers enough. How much money do you really have? I would like to sort of tell them exactly what I think. And so it's partly that, just seeing the inequality and and When we moved here, you could get the New York Times every day. I became hooked on the New York Times when I lived in New York City because I married a man who was a newspaper man, and we started getting the New York Times every day. Now we can only get it on Sundays, and I don't like to read it online. So I read it every Sunday to keep up, and I love the Sunday opinion. That's probably the most important thing to me is the Sunday opinion. What are people thinking around the country? I heard the greatest suggestion for president. I'm sorry I didn't think of it. Sherrod Brown from Ohio would make a fantastic president. He has a great connection to working class, hardworking Americans. So that's how I see it differently because I'm, I am different. Yeah, so I see it differently. You mentioned your husband. How did you and your husband meet? We met at the New York Botanical Garden. The New York Botanical Garden was a short bus ride from my living place in the Bronx. I was lucky to live in Pelham Parkway. I think that's the only reason I survived New York. Pelham Parkway was a divided road with lots of trees, and I would walk down there, and I would take the bus to the New York Botanical Garden, and I would walk in the forest, which reminded me of Pennsylvania. So I met him there. My son was born there, and I used to take him Oh, we had such great adventures. I would pull him in his wagon. One time I pulled him in his wagon and we went on the bus to the Bronx Zoo and we enjoyed visiting the animals. And then I decided to walk home, which was two plus miles, pulling him in the wagon. And I still can't believe he fell asleep in the wagon. I am a child at heart. I love doing hands-on things. And I'm so glad you asked about that, Tiffany, because one of the things we did last year as Free Books for Kids Town is 
we had an interactive festival where we took over a street and brought all these interactive things to local kids. Parents were just so surprised that it was all this hands-on education and there were no vendors for them to buy anything except the food we were selling and a few minimal costs to do a few little things that we had. They got to use a net to hooks out of the town fountain and we did painting Batmobiles and we planted seeds and we made pinecone bird feeders and took Dr. Seuss trivia. We're going to expand that to bring more interactive children's events. And that's part of our education mission. The school is really important. That's important too. It happened on National Free Comic Book Day. So we had all these comic books to give away. And the kids didn't get as many comic books as had fun outside. It was a spectacular spring day. So May 4th is the day next year. We hope you'll come to Downtown Warren and get your free comic book and take part in expanding interactive festival. The fountain will be open again and you can either catch and release your ducks next year or catch and take your ducks home um, and win a prize. You'll be able to hopefully touch a truck. We'll have more hands-on science experiments. We're constantly working on finding ways to get kids involved in hands-on stuff because that helps them think about what kind of career. Part of what free books does is say to children, your interests are really important. We affirm your interests and think about your interests when you're thinking about what to do with your life. If you really love dinosaurs, then maybe you'll never be a paleontologist, but maybe you'll just enjoy that part of life. And the other thing that we haven't talked about is the importance of sports. We're going to have some physical activities. We had great music last year, and I hope we'll have some dance at next year's Interactive Festival because when I was in the Bronx, I did a program called Basketball and Bible that gave kids a chance to play basketball together, but also think about how basketball has to do with living the Christian faith. We don't do that at the interactive festival, but it's an important part of my life. I think about it a lot, but sports teaches you so much. And I grew up before Title IX was brought to life here. And I wonder what my life would have been like if I had had a chance to do girls sports, which are so wonderful to girls now. You have so much energy. You really have a lot going on. I do. It's so true. Where do you find the energy or how do you stay motivated? Oh, staying motivated. The energy is a gift from God. The spirit is a gift from God. The energy, it has to do with right eating and sleeping and... I do get discouraged at times. It's a hard time with the Israeli war and people dying needlessly and seeing the continual poverty and people unwilling to share. Oh, I'd like to knock a few heads. My mother really always talked about knocking a few heads because they're just, she really did. My mother had six kids and she ran a tight house. She could have been CEO and really, she could have been a Marine staff sergeant or better. She never had a chance to go to college, but she made it possible for her kids to go. I hope we get back to an America where we care about each other and think about people that aren't like us. It's just so important to care about others and especially in our small towns. None of our children select their parents and some kids get dealt a really bad deck of cards. And the question is, are you an adult? Not are you an adult of age, but can you act like an adult? Can you think about the needs of others? And can you make a difference for those children who, by the chances of life, got a bad deck? And can you help them have a better life? It's really possible. You can change a child's life at any age. Nicholas Kristof tells this wonderful story of this high school student who's always being kicked out and always was skipping class and how he went to the library one day and took out a book without checking it out. And the librarian knew that she was just going to let this book go because if this student got seen checking out a book at a library, his reputation 
reputation would have been ruined. And so then she went that weekend, I think, to Memphis to get another book by the same author, and she put it back on the same shelf. She did this two or three times. She changed his life and his children's lives. I think he became a lawyer, and his children became people with PhDs. So don't give up on our children, please. They're so important. We're going to need them to take care of us when we're old, but we really, but they're so much fun now. Help them now. Thank you, Tiffany and Dan, for this great opportunity. Yeah, this was such a great interview. I really love talking with you. I, I love all the times that we get to sit down and talk with each other. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Tiffany, so much for, for all you've done to bring great things to our town and for the great website I have. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Manny's with Grannies. I hope you enjoyed learning about someone else and maybe even learned a little about yourself. Oh, yes. I still remember you in that house. It's oh, like, yeah. oh, yes. What are these young she people like, doing? She looks clueless. <laughs> she looks clueless to what the prices are today and how things work here. And then when you were from Philadelphia, it's like, oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, I did. I love the... Um, What's the market? South Street Market? The market on 9th Street or wherever in the Italian... Oh, the Italian market. Italian so market. It was called the Italian market. Now that it's called the um, the 9th Street Market. 9th Street International Market yeah, is yeah, what they yeah, renamed yeah, it yeah, to. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was great. We used to go yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. And I got to... I didn't talk about this. Someone at church one day had a chance, had an extra ticket to see Alvin Ailey. Okay. I had never seen dance, you know, on the stage. And these were seats in like the opera section. Oh my goodness gracious, I saw Revelation. Is it Revelation or Revelations? Whatever it is. It was so moving. It was like, oh my goodness. That's awesome. That's and cool. then when I was at Penn, I didn't talk about this either. Liv Allman came to perform in a doll's house. I had I once went on a date with a guy to go see Shakespeare and I fell asleep. <laughs> I did not fall asleep during a doll's house with Liv Allman. It was three hours that went like that. She was so good that you just were like, I mean, I just, I just had never experienced. I someone. love Philadelphia for that. Oh their, yeah, their arts is oh, rich in art culture. Yeah, yeah. You can go see ballet every weekend. Oh, with I bet. The Ballet X, the Philadelphia. Oh like yeah, all yeah. The and the, the Philadelphia, the the Alvin Ailey was downtown, and I don't know if the Opera House or whatever, but the Liv Almond was on Penn's campus. The Atterberg Center at Kim Pence nice. campus. So nice. yeah, yeah, special. yeah, yeah, special. Well, what a treat! I can hardly. <laughs> I, I don't think I really want to listen to the podcast. I oh mean, my I'm gosh, so you're embarrassed. To it, no. I'm always so embarrassed of what I, I said. I actually want but, to um, do a little intro redo. I didn't mention that we were at the library. Oh, okay. And I think that ties in to the work your here. your work. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and the library, and it's the 150th anniversary. Yeah, I want to mention that too. I want to try to double. And before in. you guys were here, um, there was this contest across the country about America's best libraries or best loved libraries or something. And I don't remember how many libraries there were across the country, but there were only three in Pennsylvania. The Carnegie. If you've seen the Carnegie in Pittsburgh, you know why. Oh yeah, we've and been there. Actually. You've been there. It's a yeah. fantastic library. Yeah, it's we saw beautiful. We got we, a tour. Did you, oh yeah, we have been, We also saw Carnegie's library. They left his town in Scotland. They even had a cafe there. We didn't have time to check that out. We went to see his birthplace and stuff. But I'd go back to that. So it was the Carnegie Library, the Doylestown Library, and the Warren Public Library. Oh, wow. Those were That's the cool. three from the state. Only That's three. Cool. So I was just really proud. I said, yeah. "You should always say that when right. you answer the phone." 
you know, this is, a, yeah. What top, the, three. top three. Top <laughs> three in, in Pennsylvania, in yeah. the state. Yeah, yeah. 